Well, he is good to us, isn't he? Come on, give him one more big hand. God is good to us. Way better than we deserve. Before we're seated, could we just pray just a moment and ask God as we open the Bible together? You know, the Bible is not just a book, it is the book. And, you know, I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. And you say, well, you know, we put the scriptures on the screen. We do. But there's just something about keeping your Bible around with you, about reading it in the morning, you know, about thinking about it, about meditating on it, because it is absolutely transformational. But here's something I have found in my life. The way I approach the Bible often determines what I receive from God's Word. When I read my Bible in my, in my morning uh, devotions, I'm reminded of a scripture in Ephesians where Paul prayed that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I don't want just information. I don't want to just, you know, verbs and nouns and adverbs of the Bible. I want God to speak to me. And my prayer for you this morning is that when we open the Bible together, you won't just hear a guy, but you'll hear a voice within the voice as it speaks to your heart. So, Lord, we want to say, first of all, thank you. We live in a free nation and that we're able to openly have a Bible. And, Lord, we want to pray today that the Bible that's open before us will live in our hearts. Lord, we humbly receive your word as the engrafted truth that it is that has the power to change us. We acknowledge that your commands are standards to live by, not begrudgingly, but because we want to. We want to please you in obedience, just like a, a, a child desires to please a parent. And Lord, today we just want to say that, that let the Holy Spirit be here and speak to us and give us power to live the way you call us to live in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Hey, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking good today and you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles this morning, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, and we're going to continue a series called Dumb, Dumb and Dumber, and it's been a series, had a lot of fun with it, and uh, we have been looking at people in the Bible who kind of did some really dumb things, who got off track and lost God's blessing and favor. So we are looking at their mistakes and trying to go the other direction. But last week, if you were here, we talked about a guy named Esau. You remember an Old Testament figure? He did a really dumb thing. He literally sold away his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And what Esau did for us is he showed us that there is a battle between our flesh and our spirit, a battle between the part of us that wants to do wrong and the part of us that wants to do right. Let me say, I'm in there with you, preacher. You know, we see that. It's a struggle we have. But the great thing we saw last week is that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will give us the power to control our flesh. And it's a great message. If you missed it, you might want to pick it up. But we don't want to be like Esau. We want to be people that are living under the control of the Spirit. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a New Testament uh, figure, Ananias and Sapphira. And we're going to talk about integrity. And we're going to see the counterpart to integrity is deception. Uh, there's a difference between being truthful and telling a lie. And God's favor rests on those that are walking in integrity. Now, here's our text, Proverbs 10, verse 9. And when you read through the book of Proverbs, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is just filled with practical insight and wisdom. Uh, if I find that maybe I have extra time for Bible reading, uh, I'll go to a proverb. There's 31 chapters, so whatever day it is, like today's the second, I'd go to Proverbs 2. But if I'm reading through a genealogy in the Bible, and it gets a little dry sometimes, a little boring, some of the Old Testament stuff, I'll go over and I'll read a proverb in addition to that, some of the Proverbs. But typically in Proverbs, they're short verses, they're short thoughts. One verse, two, maybe sometimes three, but, but most of them are a verse or two. And what the Proverbs will do, it oftentimes uses a contrast. 
It shows us what this way is like, what that way is like, and they compare. Sometimes it's an amplification of the first thought. But this first one, Proverbs 10, 9, is a contrast. People with integrity walk safely. People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. So here's the contrast. Two choices in life. Those that are walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Integrity, uprightness, truthfulness, honesty. And they will be safe, but those who follow a crooked path are going to end up in a ditch. So that's what we're talking about. I've entitled it, Integrity Matters. And I think, uh, I think this will help you this morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. And let's look at an example about a husband and wife team that uh, did something really dumb. As we go in Acts chapter 5, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty neat time in the time of the early church. I mean, no, we are a part of something that's been going on now for several thousand years. We don't just go to church. I mean, no, we are the church. And we're a part of the same church that those early believers in the book of Acts are part of. We're a part of the same church that every Baptist church in town, every Methodist, every assembly, every, you know, Episcopalian, just go across the list, every Bible-believing, every Jesus-honoring denomination. How many know we're a part of one church? Well, this church was born on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival, and Jews had come from all over the Roman Empire, and they had gathered there in Jerusalem. You went to the temple to offer your worship on these high holy days, the feasts. Well, lo and behold, something very unexpected happened. Jesus, of course, in the book of Acts, the first chapter, he's still on earth after resurrection, before his ascension to heaven. And he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem, hang out there until you are endued with power from on high. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happened in Acts 2.1, and the church was born, and on that very day, 3,000 people are making steps to Christ. Well, now they've got a problem. We're in Acts 5, multiplied thousands of people have come to Christ, but you've got thousands of people from all over the world that have come to Jerusalem. Now, how many know when you go on a vacation, you don't, if you're going for a week, you don't take a month's worth of clothes? Well, listen, I do. I take two weeks for one week. Anybody, can you identify with me there? But you take enough money for the week. I mean, you don't, you don't just plan to live there forever. Well, God had impacted these people's hearts, and now they don't, they, they don't, they're out of money, they're out of things. And the problem is the, uh, Roman, the uh, Jews uh, hated the Christians. And oftentimes they wouldn't give them jobs. They're trying to you know, pressure them because they weren't for them. So we've got a real dilemma that people are in great need. And what the early church was doing is people that had possessions, they were selling them, not because they had to, but it was a willing thing. It's much like the tornado, tornado devastation there in Oklahoma. I mean, people are sending money. People are getting truckloads and caravans to a short-term need. So this is not Christian socialism. It's not the practice where you give everything away to, to be distributed by someone else, but it was a particular need. Now, notice what happened. Ananias and Sapphira, they're a part of the company there. Verse 1 said, they sold their property, and he brought part of the money to the apostles, and say this next phrase with me, claiming it was the full amount. Now, we're thinking about integrity, and this is where he veered from integrity. He basically told a lie, and he did it with his wife's consent and kept the rest. And Peter said these words. He said, why have you let Satan fill your heart? It's reminiscent of Judas. Remember when Judas betrayed Christ? Satan entered him. They yielded control of this area to Satan. And this next phrase is, is pertinent. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, in Proverbs 6, the Bible says of seven things the Lord hates, you know what number two is? A lying tongue. Well, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. <laughs> and he said, look, the property was yours to sell or not sell. You didn't have to. 
After selling it, the money was yours to give away. But then he said, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. And isn't that interesting? That says that though, though men were lied to, how many know, that was not, uh, he told a fib to folks, but God was the one that saw it, and his greater sin was against God. Which tells us God knows when I'm telling the truth, and God knows when I'm telling a lie. You know, the Bible says that God knows the hidden secrets of our heart. He knows our attitude. He knows our motivations. The Bible says we'll give an account for every idle word that we speak. The Bible says the hairs of our head are numbered. God spent less time with me the last few years on that one. Um, you'll get that in a second. Um, but you're lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And then it says everyone who heard about it was terrified. Now... Arguably, extreme, extreme consequences that we rarely see. And everybody say, thank God for that. Aren't you glad God doesn't, you know, judge people when they, when they quickly make mistakes? I believe it was because, it was because the church was uh, firstborn. Same reason that in the Old Testament, Achan, you remember when the children of Israel going in the Promised Land, they crossed the Jordan River and God made a boundary around the, 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 some possessions and he stole and, and he lost his life because of that. I believe it was because God was trying to emphasize that the church is to be a holy place, a holy church, and his people are to be a holy people. But nonetheless, it serves as an example for us today that, that God watches our integrity. And that is, well, actually illustrates our text this morning, Proverbs 10, 9, that people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths, Ananias and Sapphira, will uh, slip and fall. Now, it's this word integrity that we'll talk about today, and integrity applies to everyone in this room. How many know if you try to cheat on a test, you lack integrity? How many know if someone tries to cheat from you, they lack integrity? If you lie on an expense report, you, uh, you don't have integrity. If you're selling a car, come on, now. come on now, don't shout me down now. If you're selling a car and are a little bit less than honest, have me know it's a lack of integrity. See, this is something that's uh, everyone, and you say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. What if, if you think it doesn't matter that much, what if your spouse told you, uh, hey, I'm going to see my brother in Dallas this weekend. Hadn't hung out with him a while. And, of course, the loving wife that you are, uh, you decide to give him a call, and you call brother's house and brother-in-law's house and say, hey, is my hubby there? Let me talk to my hubby. Well, he's not here. I hadn't seen him. I mean, you got a little problem there. Well, integrity is a part of all of our world. Integrity, by definition, is moral character. Now, moral, not in terms of sexual morality, but moral simply means right and wrong. How many know we can do things that are biblically correct or we can do things that are oftentimes culturally correct and they're very different? Oftentimes, particularly people in power will tell a lie to, to get we the masses to kind of go along with something or give us less than the truth. And uh, uh, that's not moral character. Integrity is treating people right. It's honesty, truthfulness, uprightness. It is to be uncorrupted. And I suggest to you that it is missing in our culture. I looked, uh, my favorite uh, uh, news source that I go to is the Drudge Report, the largest conservative news source in the world today. Uh, I read it several times a day to find out what's going on. So I just thought that I would look Friday from the perspective of what headline in this, uh, in this news source smacks of a lack of integrity. Listen to just some things that I found off the cuff. And here's the first one. A woman fakes a Las Vegas marriage certificate after her boyfriend dies in a race car crash. 
Okay, here's the picture. She's dating this you know, pretty rich race car driver, and uh, he gets killed. They obviously have a relationship together, but they're not married, and she's not entitled to his stuff. So she figures, I think I have figured out a way how I can get it. I'll say that we were married. So she practiced deceit. You're pretty quiet on me out there this morning. That's Las Vegas. Come on, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that. So, so that's, that's... I'm trying real hard this morning to kind of get you, get you in. How about this one? You remember our president promised our, our health insurance that rates are going to go down about $2,500 a family, and if you like your health plan, you can keep it. Remember that? Okay, here's what happened in California this week. In California, 62 to, rates were going up for the private plans, 62 to 146%. Could you afford to pay that much for your health insurance? And the three major uh, insurance carriers left California. I hope our president will respond to us as the American people in integrity now and say where we're heading is not working. See, this is an issue of integrity. It's not Republican, Democrat, it's not black, it's not white. All these terms that are thrown out in our culture at the core of this thing is, is character and integrity, and it's missing in America. Here's another one. A, a woman is busted after her bucket list theft of swimsuits and beef jerky from Walmart. That mean? Now, your bucket list is kind of some big things you want to do in your life before you die. Can you imagine what kind of life you're living if your big thing in life was to steal beef jerky from Walmart? Okay. Here's another one. Uh, prosecutors, you know, the, the, remember the big, uh, the big case in Florida that got the, captured the nation? Uh, Trayvon Martin, the case is finally coming to court. Uh, the prosecutor wants to hide photos of Trayvon Martin's gun and his smoking pot. Now, what does that mean, preacher? Well, that means the picture that we saw of an innocent 14-year-old was not really who this guy was. There were some things about his life, but yet those that published the photos, those that said things to us, and, and the prosecutor wanted to use those, but the defendant didn't want to because it would make him look differently because all he's interested in is in getting a, come on, a guilty or a not guilty. See, in our world today, it's ordered not by unchangeable biblical truth of right and wrong, but it's ordered by situation ethics. What we did as Americans is we threw out in the... Well, it really started in the 40s, you can say, but it really came to the forefront in the 60s when America said, basically, we don't want God. We don't want the God of the Bible. You can just take it. You can forget it. The Supreme... It hurt, didn't it? That's what our nation has done, though. Our nation threw out God. God is dead. Time magazine. Our schools said, we don't want the commandments of God on our schools. Listen, we'd rather have metal detectors, and we'd rather have dogs, and we'd rather do drug testing for unemployment benefits. We'd rather do all those things rather than tell men that they're accountable, come on, before the living God one day. But the problem is in America, when America, secular culture, and the, uh, the elites threw God out of our culture, we didn't replace our moral code with anything else. So what it gave us is what's called situation ethics, which means this. Whatever I have to say or whatever I have to do to get what I want, that's what's right. So whatever I have to do to stay in power as a politician, that's what I, that's what I need to do. Whatever I have to do to make more money, that's what becomes right. Whatever I have to do to get you to go out with me, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to say to keep my job, that's what's right. Well, I want to suggest to you it is a lack of of integrity and all these moral choices of our character determines our reputation the, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 1 that we are to choose a good reputation 
That is, you can choose to have a, a good name, and it says it's more important than great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Now, now, what does that mean? That means that your reputation, that is, are you honest or dishonest? Do you lie or do you tell the truth? Do you show up to work on time or are you perpetually late? Are you generous or you're stingy? All these things, these choices in life, it's more important to be godly than it is to have some extra money. That when you fill out your expense report, listen, I could use an extra hundred just like you. I could use, listen, I could use whatever. But if I have to lie to get it, come on, a good name is more important. Now, you, you, nobody in your world may know, but God always knows. This is what Ananias and Sapphira told us. They told us that God is watching, and God is the one. And the Bible says, don't let anything be more important than your moral integrity. The, the things that you do that are, that are right. Now, here's the big question this morning. How do I live a life of integrity? How can I earn a good reputation? Well, it's, it's not complicated. This is a message that the most simple among us can live, but that is difficult to do, but yet is basic and profound. I'm going to give you three things this morning. And the first one is to a life of integrity is to tell the truth. Amen. It simply means to be honest in life. The second is that we admit our mistakes. And how many know it's easier to cover up than fess up? And the third one is that we keep our word, that we don't break our promises. This applies to preachers, come on, it applies to students in school, it applies to the business owner, it applies to the janitor. I mean, this is across the board that God is looking for you and I to be models of integrity. Have you heard the phrase as the Christian that we're to preach the gospel wherever we go? But when necessary, use words. This is what we're talking about. The way we live our life is our greatest testimony. Let's look at the first one, telling the truth. Now, a couple Proverbs here. Proverbs 3.32, this is the New Century Version. It says, The Lord hates those who do wrong, but He is a friend to those who are honest. Here's the contrast again. So, if you want God to be your friend, be honest. On the other hand, if you want to find God's disfavor, do wrong. And in this case, the opposite of honesty is telling a lie. It's covering up. It's, it's the whole life of deception. Proverbs again, 14, 9. Fools don't care if they sin. But honest people work at doing right. Honest people work at being right. And you know what? It's hard to be, do the right thing sometimes, isn't it? Come on, now, I'm preaching a little better than you're amen this morning. It is, it, it's hard to do what's right, but the Bible says that we are to work at it, even if there's a little cost there. Uh, honest, by definition, simply means that we are just and fair in the way that we deal with other people. That is, when we sell something and we tell them, oh, man, this is just a, a great car. This will last you another 100,000 miles, but you know that there's a crack in the engine. Come on, you know that it's guzzling oil, and you get away and you tell your neighbor, hey, man, I just really, look how much money I made. And he said, you got that much money for that raggedy car? See, this is the world that we live in today. Uh, honesty is being fair in dealing with people. It's the golden rule. Do unto others, Bible, as what? You have them do unto you. The second great commandment, Jesus said, was to love your neighbor as yourself. So the way we treat people, that we are free from deceit and fraud, that, that we tell the truth, that we're, and, and truth by definition is a, is a true statement of the facts, that we don't exaggerate. Tell me if you know who said this. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Remember who said that? What, what, what Bible verse is that? If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. 
Come on, not in the Bible. That's Mark Twain. But isn't that a good way to live? Now, we're going to illustrate it. We're going to have a little fun this morning with some video, but uh, I've got a little Andy Griffith uh, uh, spot we're going to show you here. And, and it's about a son selling a bicycle and a daddy selling a house. And uh, I, this kind of brings it right, to, right in the forefront. Take a peek, and then we'll be, we'll be back. You sure ruined the deal on my bike, Paul. He was going to buy that bike before you told him what was wrong with it. Let me ask you something. Would you have felt good about it if he had about it? I don't know. But I'd have had five dollars. <laughs> I uh, actually painted this kitchen about uh, two months ago. Oh? Yes. Gave it two coats. You can't even see that crack anymore. Crack? Yeah, I'll get it over it so you can't see it anymore. <laughs> Boy, look at these windows. The sun comes right. You didn't tell him about the noise in the faucets, Paul? Uh, noise? <laughs> See, you gotta be sure and turn them on all the way, otherwise they do that. It probably uh, just needs a 10 cent washer. Turn off now. Well, all minor things. I mean, a hundred dollar bill will cover the works. You put a hundred dollars into this place and it'd be as good as new. Wouldn't you say so, Mr. Taylor? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd say that. Did you forget to tell them about the roof, Paul? <laughs> roof? You know, the way it leaks. Roofly. Uh, well, yeah, if it, if it was to come a real big heavy rain, then it might leak a drop or two. But, Pa, it was only drizzling last week and you had to get out that big bucket. Well, I think we have seen the place. It we'll be going, nice Mr. Pa. And thank you, Sheriff, for letting us go through. We, we appreciate it. Good night. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Opie. What, Paul? You did that just to get even, didn't you? Did what, Paul? Saying all those things about the house while the Simses were here. You were getting back at me for ruining the deal on your bike, isn't that it? Oh, no, Paul. Because if you were... I wasn't, Paul. I wasn't honest. Then why did you do it? Well, I was thinking about what you said. What? And if you're selling something, you should tell people the truth about it or else it ain't honest. That don't just go for bikes, does it, Paul? It goes for houses, too, don't it? Oh. <clears throat> well, uh, Opie, the fact is, bikes are bikes and houses are houses. You understand? No, Paul. <laughs> Well, tell your neighbor, houses and bikes share something in common, don't they? But you know, it, 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 it's hard to tell the truth when it'll cost you something. It's easy to do if there's nothing involved. Uh, but, but, but telling the truth, listen, friends, is what we're about. We had an opportunity just the other day. Uh, Rebecca had her last ball game in New Boston there on Thursday night. Got done late. I was ready to go home. But, of course, the reward for the last game, need a milkshake, chocolate milkshake, you know, Sonic you know, bananas and all that. So anyway, we go up there and they bring it out and my friend gave the girl a $20 bill and a $2 milkshake, $1.89, I think it's half price then at that time. So, so, so gave, gave a $20 bill and she gave him back $24 in change. Not a bad deal. Milkshake, come on, with two straws and 20% profit. The only problem, think about integrity now. 
So he gave her the change back and then encouraged her, listen, to study in school in math class. <laughs> but then invited her to go to Pastor Ron's church, which was right next door. And then after it was all over, going home, Rebecca said, well, most people wouldn't have done that. And our conversation went like this. Honey, we're not like most people. We're a Christian. Amen. Now listen, this is where we live life. And we do this not just for some money. Don't, don't ever sell your soul. Come on, for $6 or $600 or $6,000 or $60. How much? What would it take? What amount? I'm telling you, in our lives, we want pleasing God to be the number one thing in our life because integrity, come on, is the foundation of our character. Give the Lord a big, a big hand. Let's look at another one. If you want to have a, a good reputation, if you want to be this pleasing to God, then not only must we be honest and tell the truth, but admitting our mistakes. Now, Proverbs 28, 13, this is probably my second favorite uh, verse in the whole book of Proverbs. It says, and here's the contrast, he who conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. So here's two ways to deal with a mistake. I can cover it up. I can conceal it. I can blame someone else. Or I can do this difficult thing is I can acknowledge it. I can confess it. And then I'll find mercy. Mercy from God. Listen, and the ticket is that I deal with my mistakes in the wrong way. That rather than ignore them or try to get rid of them or threaten people who tell on me that I acknowledge it. Come on. And this is what's missing in our broader culture. And if I could talk culture just a minute, right now our nation is focused on a number of scandals. We're focused on one scandal, though, that affects all of us with the IRS. I hope you're following this, but during the election season, over 500 organizations that were applying for tax-exempt status were, uh, were uh, uh, denied or put off by the IRS. And as we come to find out why, they were not just broadly conservative group and political groups, they were pro-life groups that stood on behalf of Israel, that stood for things for Israel that our White House was not for. They were denied. They were put off. Pro-life groups. One comes out and says that, that the IRS said, we'll only give your tax exemption if you'll sign a form that says you won't pick it in front of abortion clinics. Uh, religious groups, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham said they were targeted. James Dobson was targeted. So you would think something, and you say, well, what's the big deal about this preacher? This is the same group that's going to be collecting the money for your health care. They just hired 115,000 new agents, not only to teach us how to get on board with the new health care, but also to, to take money from you. And in case you didn't know this, if you don't have the right insurance and have met the requirements on your 2015 tax return, you're going to get fined. Come on. You're going to have to pay for something that you've never perhaps paid for in your life. So it's a pretty important deal. And as this is being exposed, you're going to see something kind of amazing because we've got a couple clips of two of the top IRS uh, people in charge plus a, a person from the White House. So take a peek here about how we're dealing as a nation. And I want you to think of integrity. We were told as Americans, you know, we were told in the whole Benghazi scandal overseas that a video created the problem. Now, if you're thinking Democrat and Republican, you better quit. If you're thinking racist stuff, you better quit. I'm talking a deeper level. I'm talking about integrity. I'm talking about the reason that we as Americans don't trust our Congress. The reason in America that there's a disconnect between those that rule over us and we that live life in America, it's because of something called integrity. 
Now, look, we're using this as an example, but we can't control those folks, but we can control ourselves. Take a little peek here about how they responded to questions in front of a congressional investigation committee. Who did you ask? I asked the senior technical advisor. And, and what's the senior technical, technical advisor's name? Nancy Marks. And what did Nancy tell you? Who's responsible? I, that I don't remember, to be honest with you. You don't remember again? Uh, thanks, Jay. When the president learned about the findings of the IRS audit in the newspaper, did he ask senior advisors why he was learning about this from the newspaper? Uh, no, I don't believe he did. I'm, I wasn't uh, present when he learned about it, but I know that he was uh, not happy with... Uh, just a quick follow-up. Did he ever ask, not necessarily in a critical vein, but just to, just to sort of get a sense of how the White House is operating, why he wasn't informed of that earlier? Was that, was that self-apparent? I was asked yesterday about this. The president believes and uh, has, has faith, believes that the uh, council's decision was the right one and has faith in, uh, in her judgment on these issues. I have not done anything wrong. I have not broken any laws. I have not violated any IRS rules or regulations, and I have not provided false information to this or any other congressional committee. And while I would very much like to answer the committee's questions today, I've been advised by my counsel to assert my constitutional right not to testify or answer questions related to the subject matter of this hearing. What amazes me is that nobody in charge is in charge. It amazes me that nobody knows anything. Now, look, uh, listen, we, we may never know in our little part of the world, but uh, all I know is, is it just seems like something's not right. I mean, it, it, you ever had a dead mouse in your house? And I don't care how good you clean that house, you walk by a room and there's something stinks in here. Something is not right. And this is the issue as we look broadly. But you know what? It is hard for anybody to admit their mistakes. It's hard for me. I'll tell you something that happened I'm ashamed of. I was in the 12th grade. I cut school one day. That's bad. But then when my, when my mother found out about it because the teacher called her, and I'm standing in front of the Gestapo, and, and uh, she said, she said why didn't you go to school? And rather than being honest that I went with my friend and our two girlfriends, here's what I said. I don't feel good, Mom. I don't feel good. She said, oh, baby, I'm going to take you to the doctor. So I go to the doctor the next day, and he tells me I have mono. Mono is not cured with a shot or a Tylenol. You have to stick, cut back your life for the next three or four months. The only problem is when you tell a lie, you have to keep telling lies to cover up the first lie. So now, when I'm ready to go out with my friends, I'm ready to go, you know, go to Florida and go here and go there and do that. I can't go because I have to be sick because I have mono. You've never done anything like that in your whole life here. Come on. You have a bunch of religious people this morning. Lord, have mercy. I'm just so privileged to be in your presence today. Why do we do this as people? Let me tell you why. It is our sinful nature has a tendency to cover up rather than fess up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, the first example. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate, ate of the forbidden fruit? 
And God said, hey, Adam, what's going on? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And rather than saying, yes, I'm guilty, Adam said, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. She did it. It is a lower-level employee in Cincinnati. It was two rogue employees. It's a video that nobody has ever seen. And that's why the Muslim world has erupted. Eve straightens it out as a woman always will. God asked her the same question, verse 13. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. You'll never find God's favor in a cover-up. If you don't care about God's favor, do what you want to do. But if you, if you want God's favor, Proverbs 28, 13, if you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, you find what? Come on, how many people want worse? Wave your hand at me this morning. I do too. And let me encourage you, whether it's with your wife, your kids, or your workplace, or wherever, be someone that lives with integrity. And to have integrity, you've got to be honest, and then you have to fess up rather than cover up. Ooh, tell your neighbor, he's almost done. I'll be glad this morning. Here's the third one. For to have a, 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 a reputation of integrity, you've got to keep your word. Don't break your promises. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 Paul the Apostle has told the Corinthians he's coming to, to see them. He's, he's going to visit them, but something happened that stopped him. And then they basically are upset at him. They say he's not a man of his word. Notice what he says. He said, you may be asking why I changed my plans. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Now listen to this. Do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they mean no? Well, you're wrong. I try to be as true to my word as God is to his. I try to be as true to my word as God is to His. Now, what does that mean? That means if I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. And if I don't do it, and I remember, I call you up and I tell you, hey, I need to ask you to forgive me. I told you I've been there. I told you I'd help you with your yard. Come on. I told you I would do whatever, but I, I forgot I got busy. Would you forgive me? I'd like to come and make it right. This is what the Bible teaches us, keeping our word, keeping our promises. It is foundational for a good reputation. Let me tell you a story that illustrates this. It was in a newspaper about a man named Bob Hayden from Gillette, Wyoming. Bob is a cattle broker, which means for over four decades of, of his life, he's bought and sold cattle in that part of the world. The Bible, uh, not the Bible, but the newspaper said, Bob Hayden is stuck in the past. He doesn't use a computer, and he still believes a handshake and a person's word are worth more than a contract. Now, stay with me on this now, because you and I live in a world today, if you want to buy a house, you've got to sign a stack of papers about that thick. And most of those papers are trying to get you to do right. Most of those papers, if you want to buy a car, you've got 30 minutes of checking stuff off. You know what I'm talking about. And most of this is to make sure that you simply fulfill your word, that you're going to give them a down payment and you're going to give them monthly payment. Are you with me? This is how our world has changed. Listen to Bob's world. He says he still believes a handshake and a man's word is worth more than a contract by sticking to the traditional values of honesty and hard work. Now listen to me, young people. If you want to get ahead in life, if you'll just work a little harder than everybody else, if you'll tell the truth, if you'll get there a little bit earlier, if you'll stay just a little bit later, you will be advanced quicker than anybody else around you. Because character is missing in our world today. 
Well, honesty and hard work made him one of the most successful in the region. It's not luck. It's not the color of his skin. It's not where he was. Are you with me? There's something about character that unites every one of us in this room today. We live in a culture that divides us for a myriad of things. But character is what should resonate from every Christian. Now, one of the people that he bought and sold to, Groves Ranch, had been doing business with Hayden for 40 years because of his honesty. Their agreements were simple verbal contracts sealed with a handshake. Hayden, now listen to this, would stick to an agreement even when the market price goes down. What's that mean? That means, let's say they got together, he looked at the steers, they were out there, there was a hundred of them, and what's beef selling for today? Anybody know? On the hoof. Anybody know? I have no idea either. Let's say it's 50 cents a pound. Okay, about 65 cents a pound. Well, let's say there's a handshake and I'm going to buy your steers for 65 cents a pound, and unfortunately, I'm going to pick them up in a week. Well, between now and then, when I get back, beef has dropped to 50 cents a pound, and I'm going to lose 15%. And there's just a kind of a wiggle to get out because now we're talking about ten, fifteen thousand dollars and and how can I get away? I know I told you that. Call me back later, okay? I'm just busy right now. Uh, what'd you say? The phone's been disconnected. Uh, I'm too busy. I, 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 I'm on vacation. Or, come on, what does an honest man do? I'll honor my word at 65 cents. Now see, this is how integrity works. Integrity doesn't just work when it's fun. Integrity works, and, and, and I wish the IRS, come on, and I wish I would learn a lesson from Mr. Hayden. I'm preaching way better than you, Ray Minning, this morning. Let me, how the Bible says this, Psalm 15, verse 1. Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? This is talking about going into the temple of God. Who may go into your presence? Notice, those who lead blameless lives and who do what's right. Keep going and speak the truth from sincere hearts. Look at verse 4. Those who keep their promises, say it with me. Wow. Isn't that what Mr. Hayden did? That's an example. And this doesn't have anything to do with making money. This has to do with the presence of God. Now let me close with one more scripture that's virtually identical, but it's another psalm. This time, Psalm 24. And let me close with this thought. And if you've turned me out, turn me back on. Integrity is a doorway to the presence of God. You say it again. Integrity is a doorway to the presence of God. The psalmist asked the question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And, and who will stand in His holy place? So here's my question. The easy answer to church people would say, He who reads the Bible. He who goes to church. She who pays her tithe. None of that is mentioned. Who will come into the presence of God, but he who has, say it with me, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully somebody who tells the truth, even if it's Andy with a house or Opie with a bicycle. He goes on to say he doesn't lift up his soul to what is false or swear. He will receive the blessing from the Lord, and notice, he will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. Notice verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who choose the face of the God of Jacob. Now look, what's most important to me in my life, at this stage in my life, I'm 56. I'm growing more and more and more with the recognition that one day I'm going to stand before God to give an account of my life. I don't want there to be just a real small God box 
I don't want to get to heaven and say, well, I went to church. Well, I gave a dollar or two. Well, I did. I, I want to go with this testimony. I want to be someone who loves the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. And this scripture told us, if you want this kind of relationship with God, stay with me now. If you want the presence of God in your life, have clean hands. Have a pure heart. Don't be like Ananias who goes through the wrong door of deception. But be somebody who tells the truth. Be somebody who admits their mistakes. And be somebody who keeps their word. And this, my friends, the Bible says is a door into His presence. And it stems from our character. Come on, give Jesus a big hand this morning. He's worthy, worthy of our praise. Well, Holy Spirit, once again, we want to say we welcome you. Lord, I join with my friends today, and, and, and we want to say we welcome you in our life. Lord, to sanctify us, to cleanse us. Lord, to help us deal with our character. Lord, help us not only think these thoughts about honesty and truthfulness, but let us live them. Today, Lord, I pray first for myself because I know my own struggles. I pray for my friends that we would be honest people of godly character and integrity. I pray, Lord, for those that lead us in our nation. Today we pray for our president, we pray for our Congress, our courts. We pray for local judges, we pray for attorneys, we pray for local justices, we pray for governors, we pray for people in Congress. Lord, we pray for Supreme Courts across the land. God, we ask you to forgive all of us for the things that we've done wrong. Forgive all of us for when we've not been truthful. Lord, we just pray that you would help our nation once again return to a footing of your word. We acknowledge our mistakes before you and we receive your forgiveness. But would you please, Lord, do something in our hearts? Would you please raise up a righteous standard in America? Start here in your church. Let it trickle over into the world. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, today. Praise the Lord. We give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not leave that soul. 